You unlock the door with the key of ignition. Beyond is another dimension. A dimension of sound and a dimension of speed. You find yourself in a land of both friction and downforce, of acceleration and gear changes. You're about to experience the Rev Limiter. Welcome everybody to our well, first episode of Rev Limiter, which is the old supercars in preview for the folks that uh, don't don't know that. I'm joined by Andrew Clark. How you going, Clarky? Hey, not bad, not bad. We're trying to find a way to fill in the uh, what was going to be a very long off season, finishing in uh, in October and then starting again in February. It's uh, the longest gap we've had without serious car racing in this country for a long, 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 long time. Probably pretty much my lifetime, and that makes it very 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 long well we may not be having any racing but there is lots of news going on and the reason why we put this show together was just to catch up with what's been happening as everybody knows adelaide is uh gone the adelaide 500 um we'll talk a bit about that we're going to recap some of the driver and team news in regards to where drivers are going where what's going on there and a little bit on the TV aspect, because there's some, there's some bits of stories and stuff coming on to that. But let's get to the main one. And I will do a shout out uh, later on in the show. We do have an interview with Mike Drewer, who was part of the South Australian Motorsport Board, which was a group of uh, people that had a board plus advisors on uh, how to run motorsport events in this country and market them properly and stuff like that. So we'll have a great chat to him and get his views on the whole Adelaide 500 thing. But Clarky, what do you think? And it's Adelaide's gone. Are we going to get it back? Oh, well, I mean, the first sites are that no, we're not. Um, it's going to require a government change. The Liberal government in South Australia has clearly gone off the event totally, and uh, the only way it will come back is if a Labor Party is elected at the next state election in two years' time. And I think that's just comes down to how much pressure the motorsport community puts on them, but the general community is all. I mean, remember, this This is an event that was returning about five to one on state government investment. If it's costing 10 to $12 million to run the event, um, it was pulling back, you know, the 40 to 50 million every year, regardless of um, of the dwindling crowds that they got after they made a change in the structure of so it's a big event and, and the community, I mean, imagine all the people involved in hospitality and hotelery and all of those kind of things. So, you know, the, the, the room bookings and um, the Airbnbs went nuts. You know, everything was booked out solid for this motor race and, and now it's just going to be a ghost town again. Uh, a staggering decision. Well, why do you think the government made the decision? It was full of all the arguments saying that they did the wrong thing, that they should keep it and here's all the reasons why. Why do you think they didn't? Well, they got to a point where they, they backed themselves into a corner um, and it wasn't their decision to take the, um, to disband the say, motorsport board in South Australia and give it to South Australian tourism to run. That was a Labor Party decision. So that was the previous government that did it. The one bottom line is that if you put people in who know nothing about the sport they're running, how do you expect them to succeed at running it? You know, so if you think this is, yeah, it is a tourism event, clearly. It brings in massive amounts of people. Um, it raises Adelaide's attention um, 
you know, nationally and globally, especially when they had the Grand Prix. So, yeah, it has a tourism function. But first and foremost, it has to succeed as a motor race. And, and you can't muck around with something that's succeeding. If it's so, so strong, so profitable, why do a decision like that? Um, so it came down to a battle of politics and internal whims. And, you know, I think some people inside the the government thought that, you know, motor racing is not such a great thing to have in their streets. Um, so let's not do it. And, and then they allowed it to to be destroyed or sabotaged internally. Okay. We were told a few weeks ago that there was going to be a 12-round season for 2021, which means we're going to lose a round or two. Were you expecting Adelaide to be one of those rounds? <laughs> well, strangely, you would sit back in a logical sense and say, no, we're never going to lose Adelaide. But it was a big talking point at Adelaide this year. Um, the crowd was quite small, even in COVID times, you know, because you think if you were planning a trip to Adelaide for this motor race, you had that well and truly booked before the COVID crisis hit. You know, you're not going to just suddenly decide on, you know, middle of February that you're going to Adelaide next week to go to a car race. You've planned this well in advance or you will not get accommodation, let alone tickets. It's like planning so a holiday. You don't plan a holiday. Oh, well, let's go to, let's go to uh, Cairns next week. Yeah. You, you plan Tahiti it. Tahiti looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. So the crowd was down and it looked down. And I know you know, some people may have bailed out because of what was happening with COVID, but it wasn't going to represent a significant part of the crowd. Um, and the whole event was just flat. You know, they'd had boring acts for the uh, for the rock concerts. Um, there was not much activity going on on the tracks that was innovative or new. And remember, Adelaide was a great innovator. It brought in some of the, some really good motor racing classes. I mean, I loved seeing Ken Block, for instance, when he came out and, and was doing his his tricks down on the Decatable Terrace and all of those kind of things. Yeah, they brought out the monster trucks. So they did all sorts of things. They were a very innovative group. Um, and this year it was just uh, so hum, some same, same, let's just go. Oh, it's a race, let's go. You know, and you walk in there and there's no vibe, there was no excitement. You know, it, it really did feel like it was on its deathbed. And, you know, we did, I think, in the media area talk about that quite a bit during the weekend. Well, so, yeah, that's the thing. I remember going to Adelaide. It was like you, when you walked in the track, it was like you were going into a party or the party was about to start. And I mean, all that kind of stuff. There was that buzz in the air, even even early in the morning with the media, because we're all getting there at Sparrowfart, right? It, it was still, you, you were still arriving at something. And um, I feel like, that whole mood, as you said, it's, it was gone. What else do you reckon they failed? Well, not failed, but what else do you reckon they tried to fix but didn't? Don't fix something that's not broken, so to speak. Oh, yeah, but it comes down to it. It's purely a battle of ego and a battle of politics. And and the thing that, you know, oh, if, that, if those guys can do it, we can do it better, would say South Australia Tourism. Uh, and I, that's the only thing I can think of. I can't see any reason why you would have made any other decision. Um, it, yeah, I'm flabbergasted, as you can probably hear. Um, and this is a few days after knowing what's gone on and knowing everything about it all. Um, so I still can't understand it. And But that said, you know, once they gave it over to the South Australian Tourism Board, the event did decline and you could physically feel it. You know, as you said, that energy was gone. It was sapped. You walked in and it was just dirt, dust, you know, whereas normally you walk in and it's excitement. Like, you know, we're about to go not just for the best motorsport event of the year, which it was, but also the best motor race. I mean, that Sunday race invariably was just a cracker. 
Um, and it was a perfect storm in so many ways. The track suited these cars so beautifully. You know that that step ladder section up through the, those turns from, you know, from center through to um, to the turn eight. You know, just perfectly suited these cars. You could do all sorts of things, and we had great racing. You know, that Scaife Radisic battle a decade ago or a decade a bit ago was just a cracker. People coming through from the back of the field to win. You know, Scaife and Lowndes and all those sort of things. It was a terrific motor race. Um, and, and to say it's it's very sad, um, but also it's a bit scary for the sport. I mean, we've lost the biggest race of the year in well, terms of how many people used to walk through was, the door. I was going to get into that. But, well, first of all, I'll start with Supercars uh, announced at Bathurst, the Bathurst 500 is going to be the first round of the championship in 2021. Um, well, that's what we're all expect because they really haven't announced their calendar yet. Um, yeah, they stuck it but, in, didn't they? Just a couple of subtle comments. Yeah, well, they just, they just got it out there. This. So... Were they negotiating with uh, um, the South Australian government to have the event at another time, or was it expected that 2021 wasn't going to happen because of the, still the COVID stuff and that they were going to pick it back up in 2022? What was going on there? Uh, they'd made an announcement early supercars that all the street races would be in the second half of the year. So we knew Adelaide wasn't going to open the season um, and that the big street races, so Townsville, Newcastle, um, Adelaide, um, and Gold Coast were already pushed to the second half of the year, although, you know, Townsville proved that it could hold its race on schedule. I mean, it didn't shift this year. It just added an extra round. So, you know, if you're in the right sort of spot, you could do it. Um, but obviously crowds were massively down um, and you do need the crowds to justify it. Um, it. It's an expensive sport in many ways. You know, the safety aspects of what you've got to do on a road to turn it into a racetrack is expensive, you know ferrying all of those concrete walls in, putting up the fences, putting up the temporary grandstands, all of that stuff costs you. Um, so, you know, it does ask you the question or begs the question is if you can't do that with your full crowd, do you just pause for a year and save the money in setup? Uh, and I think that was something they could have contemplated. They could have said, okay, we're just pausing for 2021. But they didn't say that. They said, we're cancelling it. It's gone. Well, that's um, the not thing. pausing, gone. When I first read the statement, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah that's expected. Council 21. Oh, hang on. They have, have, they're not even renewing this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a different story. So, well, it's up to the people of South Australia now, Nev. They've just got to sit down and start talking to their local members of parliament. If they love this motor race the same way that we from out of South Australia love it, um, then they've got to let them know. And, and that's. That's the only way to do it. It's going to be about voter pressure and economic pressure. So the hotels, everybody who was renting rooms, having people eating dinner, um, selling beer in a pub, all of those people need to be onto their local member and say, this is just not on. Yeah, but there's pundits out there saying the government just doesn't care. They just don't care. Well, the government will always care when it thinks it's going to be voted out. True. That's the biggest way to get any government to care is to to threaten their vote. But voted out from two years out, they believe they could they could fix any any scars that they've got at the moment or wounds. Yeah, many people have thought that, and they've failed at it too. Um, once you cut a hole in something, you it doesn't just magically seal itself. So, you know, they they got a lot of work to do to recover if that's what they want to do. Um, but you know, they've just given away their biggest tourism event of the year gone true it's bigger than well they can still get it back they still get it back it's not all gone it's just but it's november 2020 they can still do it in 21 if they want the problem is that you you're talking politicians ego yeah Um, and it's like you know the clown we've got here in victoria who decided that 
you know, we didn't need an east-west link. And so even though every single transport body in Australia was telling him that you need to build east-west link, he wouldn't do it. He just stubbornly refused to build it um, because that's what his ego told him to do. Um, so politicians and their egos can often get in the way of smart decisions. So getting into the whole rock and race thing that was devised, it's big event stuff. Um, I don't know when it was first started. I, I don't know if the Grand Prix days used to do that where they'd have a band yep. after the no, Grand Prix. Okay, yeah. it's been going for a while. I know it's events and it's events thing, but I'll lead up to what I'm getting at. Does motorsport need a band to survive? Because a lot of people say, well, Adelaide was crap this year because the band was crap. I was like, I think that's a little bit of an excuse from, yeah, from the all- fans bit thing, you know? Yeah. No, my, my worry with the rock and race concept is that they've never done well enough at converting the rock fan into a race fan. You know, and you'd know it from you know, when you're leaving Homebush, for instance, you know, you'd be walking out the track and there'd be people streaming off the trains to go and see Cold Chisel or whatever. You know, so you knew that those people had no interest at all in the car racing. So to me, the rock and race concept is you, know, you want to be a, a music promoter, that's great. That's fine. Do that and make your money out of that. Um, you want to be a race car promoter, do that, make your money out of that. But the only point for doing the two of them at the same time is if you can build your following, you know, and this is one of the things supercars has not concentrated enough on yet is how do we build that next level of motor racing fans? So the 10 to 15 year old boy girl at the moment, who's got a passing interest in the sport, how do we rust those guys on? Um, How do we get them into the sport? You know, clearly if you look at the FIFA concept with their soccer game, on the computer platform. One of the reasons why soccer is booming is because that is such a popular and such a good program. Um, whereas the AFL, for instance, can't build that. It's, the AFL can't justify the dollars and cents to build such a highly complex game. But supercars can. But where's the supercars game gone? It's disappeared as well. Um, and there's all sorts of different things you can do to engage the younger people. The whole concept of rock and race, to me, was to bring people in who weren't probably going to go to a car race but might go if there was a good rock concert on at the end of the day. Um, and the problem was that they never really engaged with those people to get them into the race as well. I have a little bit more black and white. I actually think that you had all the um, facilities there. You could had the vendors there and everything. Um, if you had a concert on at the end of the night, which brought in another decent crowd, you can charge more. There's a whole lot of, Things I mean, you could charge more for your ticket prices because there's a band playing at the end or whatever, and I get all that and I understand it. But eh, I think it was a bit more simpler that you could put on ten different events at the racetrack and and it's just it's just use all the facilities are there. It's 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 a no brainer to be honest. Yeah, but while you say that, it's all good. But you want to make sure that the band you've got on is going to want to bring people through the door. Well, that's true, but that's like being that's like being a band promoter. So, if you're not a very yeah. good promoter of bands or understanding what the crowd wants, you're going to get a bad reaction, and that's not supercars' mm-hmm. fault. But, but remember, when this thing first started, when the whole rock and race concept started for supercars, and as we said, like you know, they did have bands at at the Grand Prix. I mean, I remember going to the, the band. I had Jason Barguana on my shoulders when he was 17, watching the band. You know, that's how long they've been doing that because he's now old. <laughs> but um, when it came into supercars, remember Tony Cochran cut his teeth as a music promoter. He brought the Rolling Stones out to Australia, you know, 30, 40, whatever decades ago. You know, so he was he was entrenched in that part of it. And I think he was even involved in the um 
the music entertainment at the AFL Grand Final this year that was done by Cochrane Entertainment. So, yeah, he is a music person. He was perfect for it because he knew what was on. He had his finger on the pulse. He was switched on. Um, the current guys aren't music promoters. So you either completely outsource it to somebody um, or you don't do it. Which they were doing. Want to give us, yeah, well, yeah, but you give us um, bands like they had at the Adelaide 500 this year, and I can't even remember who they are. That's how exciting they were. Um, you're just not going to get people engaged. Yeah. I mean, that's what they were doing before they took it over. There was other people who were better uh, suited to figure out what people wanted, and then they've then they've just yeah the government just brought it in in house and kind of didn't know what they were doing. They're not they're not music promoters. They're not race event promoters. But like you no. said, but see, just yeah. But looking at the bands, like yeah, as much as I love Grinspoon and the Super Jesus. They're not going to bring 40, 50,000 people in, even though they're terrific bands. Sneaky Sound System, Pete Murray and Shepard, like no appeal. Um, what was the year before? You know, we, as I say, we've had big, big, big bands in the past, um, which makes a huge difference to, to that part of it. So you either do it really well or don't do it at all. Yep. Cool. Okay. We've chatted about this enough. Um, let's move on. Driver and team news. First of all, we got to clear. Well, we let's set the scene. There's currently <laughs> only 24 cars on the grid. Now, if that's if supercars, which I've heard that supercars aren't going to expand any more than 24 cars into 2021, that means there's too many drivers and not enough wrecks. I know it's amazing, isn't it? We are being told that there will only be 24 cars on the grid. Um, but with the numbers that I'm seeing, it's just not possible. I can see 26 cars lining up if um, if the wrecks are available. And they are available because supercars have got them sitting in their back pocket. So they could easily sell a couple. To they used to have they used to have 28. They got rid of yeah, two well, of those so they could that. fit 13 cars on a plane, take two jumbo jets to China or wherever they will flying mm-hmm. them, plus some two yeah. safety cars because they can only fit. 14 cars on a plane, right? So they wanted to trim them down to 26. Then uh, economic aspects took over and whittled it down to 24. This whole let's keep it at 24, the only reason they want to keep it at 24 is to raise the value of a wreck again. Otherwise, give those other two out there, get them on the grid. But uh, if there's if there's a bidding war for wrecks, suddenly they're worth a bit of money. Yeah, but it's interesting, as you said before, you know, that like the rumours that are floating around, you know, it's hard to see how that many fits into 24 at the moment. I mean, um, and that's what's going to be fascinating when we talk about Well, let's go through it. Let's around. go through it. There's Red Bull Racing, well, they're locked yeah. in, right? Tickford, they're yep. pretty much locked in. Walkinshaw and Dreddy yep. United, they're pretty much locked in. Team 18, that's it's, Winterbottom. Uh, Frosty and Scotty Pye, so they're locked so in. They're locked Both in. Both of them locked in. Team Sydney with uh, Pitha and Alex Davison are Davison, locked in. yep. Alex, sorry, yep. Alex. So, the, so big, the only one in there with a bit of uncertainty is Tickford, and that's not because they're, they, they're four. So they're not, so hang on, they're not locked in. No. The no, four we'll take core that out of the locked in, in folder. Yeah, right here. No, no. Their four core cars are locked in. There are rumours that they've got another two coming, that they'll be um, – Backing up to so six who, cars. So it wasn't didn't one of their licenses go with um, Monday yes. or? Yep, yep, yep. So where one do they the get their fourth license uh, from? Uh, the fourth license is rumored to be coming from Blanchard. Um, so he's got the wreck. So he's coming from BJR, isn't he? 
Yeah. So, so what's BJR going to do to get uh, fixed there? Because they've got four cars. What are they going to do? They're going to go to three, or they're going to stay at four? Well, or what have they done? This what is have... where your this is where your twenty four car thing doesn't work. Um, I understand. I'm, I'm going through that. So yeah. I'm hearing that BJR have got their four though. Yeah, well, this is my thing is that we're being told 24 cars and I just can't see that it's true So because otherwise we're losing a team. So, okay, BJR has got four. Do you know whose licences uh, they've got their own and renting some others? Who, Where are their licences or recs coming from? Do you have any idea? Um, well, I think they were getting them filled. Monday one um, was the, was the word I heard. So um, so Phil, was this is almost a swatch. Blanchard goes from BJR to Tickford, and 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 then Monday goes from Tickford to BJR. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but even bigger is the fact that BJR. Uh, sorry, um, Tim Blanchard is rumored to be actually setting up his own team, There's own the two crimp. car team, as a satellite squad of Tickford. So there'll still be the four Tickford cars. So they've still got to lock down that fourth franchise, the fourth wreck for, for James Courtney to run in, but that's a Peter Adderton problem, which he'll solve because he's got lots of money. Then if you've got the two-car, two-Tim Blanchard thing, so Tim Blanchard then would need to expand from one car to two cars. So hang on. So Tim Blanchard might be expanding to two cars. Tickford takes on those two cars. They've got their own two cars uh, or wrecks. You're saying that the Boost Mobile team doesn't have a wreck and they've got to figure that themselves out? Uh, pretty much so, yeah. Although well, I reckon, I reckon they've done a deal one. with Tickford. I reckon they're already in. I reckon he's paid the dollars. I reckon, I reckon he's in. Tickford, Tickford, have like well, you're Tick, saying, Tickford, Tickford got five cars, five, well, five potential teams, but only four wrecks. So they've got to figure something out. I think Tickford's quite confident that they've got the licenses fixed for the four cars. Um, so the question is, you know, if the Blanchard thing comes in, is Blanchard going to become? another Tickford car, so just one of the four. So, you know, maybe, for instance, Cool Drive replaces Super Cheap on car 55, for instance. So that sort of swap might be happening. I'm still confused um, about Rex. Please don't add sponsors at the moment. Yeah. Well, but the, the sponsorship, the Cool Drive sponsorship is inherently tied to the wreck. I understand um, So that. if you're going to take that somewhere, it's got to have a, a prominent sponsorship position on a car. I understand. Um, so that. if we go back and look at it, so remember we were talking about Brad Jones Racing. So Brad Jones owns two wrecks at the moment, rumoured to be getting the Phil Monday wreck to put in the fourth car, which would be for either Macaulay Jones or for Fabian Coulthard. Um, Jack Smith's um, SCT Logistics is a family business and they own that wreck. So, so they're locked into that. So we know they've definitely got three and the rumours are that the fourth is the Phil Monday one. Because <clears throat> um, if Blanchard's going, then Macaulay Jones is the one who's out of a drive. Do you think Brad wants that after all the work that he's put in to get his son up to speed? You know, sometimes hard decisions have to be made. If his son can't oh, come with sponsorship to. money, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. It's oh, Stephen no, exactly. Johnson left DJR because they yeah. could sell a seat to someone who'd paid a bit more money and, you know, make another million dollars a year income into that team, which they sorely needed. Anyway, that's the past. Yeah. So where do you see the other issues with Rex at the moment? We'll go through sponsorship and driver swaps at the moment. I know they're all intertwined. Yep, so Matt Stone was chasing at least an extra one. Um, his plan was to um, turn the Superlights into both having their own cars for next year. So you're talking um, to car. He has a one-car wreck and he was after another wreck. No, he's got two wrecks and he's he wanted two. a third. Right. Yep. So, so who's got Gary Jacobson? Yep. So you got the two cars, thirty-four, and, and, he had, and then he did the super lights as well. Yeah. So he? thirty-four was the super lights, 
Um, so the plan was to roll it out into two cars so yeah. that you would have three cars running next year. Um, but then again, you know, the um, if we talk the, I know it's teasing a little early on the driver stuff, but, you know, this Fabian Coulthard thing and where he's going to slot in makes a big difference because that could then become a four-car team if the rumours are right rather than well, a three-car or a two-car. Um, so he's so Matt Stone is anywhere from two cars to four cars on the current Yeah, well, that ain't going to happen if they're not going to do any four wrecks. And if they do 26, I don't see how he's going to get any more. I mean, yeah, he can all say, oh, look, I want 10. I could run 10 uh, yeah. wrecks. Give, give me 10. I'll fill them. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not going to get any. Right, okay. Yeah. There's a disconnect between what some people are saying and what the reality is, and I'm trying to figure out the disconnects here understand who's got what and what's and what's still floating yeah. around and and it's all very gray area so it's almost like we need to do a spreadsheet for folks you know you know what's locked in what what is actually locked in and what isn't locked in even though people yeah. are saying like they're locked in no well the, the whole thing hangs on the racing entitlements contracts or the wrecks as we call understand them. so there has to be to make this work the way people are talking there has to be two more wrecks put into play there has to be a 26 car field for next year um, yes, yeah, so right, but I've covered that. Okay, what yep. I want to know is: is there anybody else other than Matt Stone Racing and Tickford and BJR? Who else is bouncing around there saying they want an extra license or they need nope, a license it. or they're about to lose their license? Nope, that's it. Just those those three teams are fiddling around. And for the newbies, some teams rent a license or lease a license, so they yep. don't own the wreck. But they right. go to someone like Phil Monday and say, hey, either bring your wreck to us or we'll rent it off you. I mean, the wreck owners earn earn a bit of income just by the fact that they let someone use their wreck. And that, that's that's been happening for years and years. Yeah, oh, it's, it's an ongoing thing, but uh, you can only lease a licence for so many years before you before you. How have many to step years? Away Do you know how many years? Three years. Three um, years. I'm just trying to remember because Brighty was in that situation where he was leased for so yeah, it's number. And then of they years. had to swap. <laughs> sometimes, well, yeah, sometimes you just swap them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. You just swap them around inside and do do a bit of fiddling. But um, but yeah, my, my numbers are saying that we need to have 26 cars to make the things work that, that people are talking about. Yeah, okay. But it's, if supercars are going to stick to 24 only, there's obviously going to be some issues there and some not oh, so happy think, people. I think they'll be happy to take a million dollars off a couple of people to buy an extra wreck. I don't think people are going to pay a million dollars for a wreck. Yeah, probably but, 600 at the moment, but yeah, who knows? No, no people are trying to run is. their teams. They want nothing for – give the wrecks. Give the wrecks. They didn't pay for the wrecks when they got them back, so why do they want to sell them? Don't you want cars on the track and sponsors and everything? No, I think you'll find supercars had to pay the, had to buy them off people. Really? I thought the, yeah. I thought they were given back. No, 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 no. There's a nominal value attached to it. Oh, um, I, I dispute that. I want to find out. I want to talk to someone who's actually done that because I'm sure some were given back to them. So this is not even oh. viable anymore. I mean, yeah. there was Let me one, have a chat to Gary Rogers during the week. It <laughs> was one stage, yeah. Well, okay. What well, did Gary Rogers sell his wrecks back to supercars, did he? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, and supercars then retires it. Well, okay. I don't know. I just think, do you want cars and sponsors out there on the track? I think if there's enough pressure out there to put quality teams on the track, we should be making it happen. Our yeah. tracks, our, our, our motor racing circuits can cope with more cars is the bottom line. And as you said, you know, there are problems when we go to New Zealand, but, you know, every problem has a solution if you've got the the, the right impetus. 
Um, so, you know, I'd say if people want it and people have got the, the money and they want to do it, um, supercars needs to make it happen. Okay. Drivers. Red Bull's oh, locked yeah, in. Here we go. Red Bull's locked in. Welcome to Andretti United's locked in. Team 18's locked in. Team Sydney's locked in. Tickford kind of locked in. With well, the, the four, four key four cars. Dri- just drivers. Yep. Drivers here. Right? Yeah. Are all their drivers locked in? Yes. They can't be. They're after four. No, the four drivers are locked in. They're all contracted. So Tickford, is, Tickford knows it will have four cars on the track. And who are those year. drivers? It's um, Holdsworth, Waters, Jack LeBrock, and um, James Courtney. Right. So that means James Courtney's definitely going to get a drive whether his team owner yep. can buy a wreck or they use one of Tickford's, which means that other option of Monday running uh, – potentially a fifth Tickford car, even though he's doing a two-car team on his own. So Blanchard. that's not going to happen. A Blanchard. Blanchard. So that's running. not going to yeah. happen. So this is a whole no, disconnect going. But Blanchard owns his license already. He that's can do right, whatever but he wants. He can, but, yeah. but, but, yeah, I, I don't see. So unless Blanchard picks one of those four, the Tickford, let's say Blanchard stays with the one, one wreck, right, team, right, and he's used his satellite team of Tickford, he's going to be using one of those four you just said. Because they're locked into Tickford, they ain't going nowhere unless they retire. What LeBrock? Yeah, no. Well, yeah, but Tim Blanchard doesn't want to drive full time. He just wants to be part of a team, running a team. Yeah. And that's why the push, the talk is that we, that they want to actually build a team from scratch. Um, so won't actually be Tickford cars as such. It'll be like a team eighteen. Mm-hmm. They'll be using Tickford equipment, Tickford cars, Tickford I'm assistance. Want to put his drive same way in. the team eight, the team way team eighteen does that with, with triple um, eight. So the plan is, you know, the talk is that that's what they want to do. So Tim Blanchard and the Blanchard family want to run their own race team, not just put some money into Brad Jones Racing or Tickford. Um, so, again, this is where the pressure comes in. Um, and this is where, you know, the availability, the right drivers um, comes into play, and, and which is why, you know, and, and we didn't quite expect it, but Fabian Coulthard's become the linchpin in a whole bunch of things. Yes, and I was going to get to this. So we, he brings us to Fabian, well, okay, uh, let's just go through teams like uh, we expect that uh, Shell DJR Racing is going to announce De Pasquale and Will Davison, which means Scott McLaughlin, who's taken off to America, is fine. Fabian Coulthard is the floater kind of out there at the moment. Um, there's a number of rumours, anything from going to Cali Racing. It's all over the place. Go on. I mean, what's the latest you've heard with Coulthard? Well, the, the options for Fabian are to stay on with Shell as a as a co-driver for mm-hmm. Bathurst, etc. Who would um, want to do that? The statement, the statement was that he was no longer a full-time driver at, at uh, DJR. Yes. So, so that door is left open. But the other rumours are that he's headed back to Brad Jones Racing, which was a very happy place for him. That's what um, I mean. And yeah. that requires the Phil Monday wreck going there so that they've got a, got a car for him. Um, there's also rumours that he's going to um, as you say, switched to all sorts of other places. So he was going to... Um, uh, he's going to uh, Matt Stone Racing? So he was going to to run a car at Matt Stone Racing. Uh, he was possibly you know, being talked about at Kelly Racing. And you know, there's just lots of things. Because we know that he, you know, he's not as fast as Scott McLaughlin, but not many people are as fast as Scott McLaughlin. But he's still an accomplished race winner who 
brings with him some credentials. So if, if you were starting something from scratch, so if you were Tim Blanchard starting something from scratch, you want to have at least one guy in the car you know is going to be able to drive it around, get really good results, not bend the living daylights out of it every second week because he's still learning how to race one of these things. So he's a good, safe option while you're setting yourselves up. So that's a one or two year option for, for a team like that, I would think. But, you know, he's in demand across the board because, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, so whether it is a Matt Stone, whether it's a Brad Jones Racing, um, whether it's a Matt Stone or whether it's co-driving at Shell DJR, he'll be doing something. Um, and what he'll be doing if he's smart is looking back and saying, well, A, how do I make as much money as I can? And B, can I win races in Bathurst? So that's Fabian. Um, where do you think he – okay, crystal ball, where do you think he's going to end up? I think he'll land at Brad Jones Racing. Um, okay. Okay. That's just my gut feel. Just because it was he got on really well there. He said he was he was it was like part of the furniture. Cool. Now we talked about DJR and we kind of uh covered on that and we expect that Dan. And they're all again, you know, that is rumors, of course, but the Anton B. D. Pasquale rumor has been rolling around since the idea of Scotty McLaughlin first going to IndyCars appeared. Um, so that's been talked about for ages. Um, Will Davison's been very confident that he had a drive tied up for next year. Um, and the, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a lot of smoke coming out of that camp. Um, and it's all in, um, you know, when we remember when we were little kids and we used to do the, the American Indian smoke signals and it's all smoke signaling for Will Davison, those smokes. So it's hard to see any other option happening there. Okay. BJR, we talked about. Um, because things come down to their wrecks and how many licenses they've got. Also, they're losing one of their sponsors, uh, Cool Drive, which looks like it's going to Tickford. Well, is who, who's point, Cool yeah. Drive following? Is it following a driver or going to a different team because it just wants a different team? I think Cool Drive is the Blanchard-owned company. Aha. Uh-huh. Rightio, gotcha. So, so if he's going, it goes with him. That eh, makes sense. Fair yeah, yeah, enough. Absolutely. It's, it's very much tied to that. Um, yeah. So that, that's where it all fits in. So this gives us to Erebus Motorsport and Cali Racing. We all know that yeah. Cali is looking for a driver because Rick's uh, announced his retirement from full-time driving, though he's probably still going to co-drive. Uh, but the Erebus, this is the big thing. This is way, this really come out a few weeks ago, this broke. That it looks like, well, we know Anton's probably leaving, but David Reynolds looks like he's looking to leave this team. This is a team he signed a 10-year deal, is one year into it, and he already, the rumours are, saying that he's going to leave this team and possibly go to Cali Racing, and he's going to take the Penrite Oil sponsorship with him, which means Cali Racing is not going to have Castrol. Well, I can't see that them working together. So there's that whole thing mashing together. It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, as you say, Dave Reynolds signed that big 10-year deal last year, um, and it's all kind of gone to crap since then. Um, and I think the, the word on the street is that if you watch that TV series that was done on Foxtel with the Erebus teams, that Barry Ryan is a very awkward character. Um, he's awkward. very forthright. He's very explosive. Um, he'd be, you know, and, and Dave's apparently has found him very hard to work with in the last year or so, especially since he's taken a much greater role in team ownership parts of it. Um, whereas he was quite happy and in sync with Betty and the way the team was running beforehand. And so look at his performances. I mean, what did we say? He dropped 17 spots, I think, on our on our um, driver ratings this year. 
So he's had a shocking season. He's got a season he would not be at all happy with. Um, and that's because he's not a happy driver. Um, so he's apparently, the word is, he's looking for a way out. He's looking to go somewhere. He's got enough talent to go there. I mean, he's still one of the best drivers in the field on his day, uh, but he's clearly not in a happy place at the moment. Um, and that exposes problems for Erebus because then they've got to take on two rookie drivers, essentially, unless, of course, they put their hand up and try to get Fabian Coulthard, which has never been spoken about yet, except for right now. Um, and um, and then whether or not Dave Reynolds can go back to Kelly Racing, who he had a very acrimonious split with when he left to go to Tickford. And, and from my memory, there was court action and all sorts of things going on there. And it was a, was a very, um, very fiery situation. So... You know, whether, what is it, eight years has um, spent some water under the bridge that's cooled down the fires. But um, at the end of the day, if you want to win races, sometimes you've got to suck it up and, well, uh, and let the best guy come in. Penrite is pretty good sponsorship dollars. It's enough to sponsor two cars. So I, I would say economic realities have taken over personal feelings of differences and stuff like that. I mean, you gave yeah. a good point with Fabian could be, you know, I'm surprised he hasn't had a conversation with Erebus because it looks like they're losing both their drivers and their sponsor. They're going to need, they're going to need some sponsorship and at least one driver, like you talked about, uh, Fabian has experience. Like if you do two new drivers, like let's say you brought in Will Brown, who looks like he's uh, slated in, and Brody Kostecki, which wouldn't be a bad move considering, right? It'd be fun, they, wouldn't it? <laughs> they, I mean, they've got supercar experience, but not that much, if you know what I mean, compared to a Fabian. So it's an, it's an interesting mix. Plus, if you've only got 24 wrecks, they've suddenly got two free ones. Okay, they don't have drivers and they don't have sponsors. I mean, you could just as well easily shut up Erebus and just lease their licenses out. Yeah, well, that's always a possibility as well. It's a, if it all gets too you know. hard. Yeah, exactly. But as you say, if they if, if the rumours around Penrod are true and they are leaving and going elsewhere, it does leave a big sponsorship hole. And, uh, yeah, Betty might be wealthy, but she's not that wealthy that she can keep funding it forever. So, um, yeah, the economic realities will always sit there at some point in time and that you've got to make this a business. It's got to be essentially making a profit or at least breaking even. Um, so, yeah, they they got a few problems, Erebus. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see where they end up, as it will be to see where you know, whether they can calm the waters and keep Dave Reynolds happy. Um, and certainly what happens with Penrite is even more interesting. Okay. Castrol. Um, looks like if the whole if the rumours are true, where um, uh, Davy Reynolds is going to Castrol with the Penrite money, that means Castrol's not going to be there. Um, you, you, where do you think Castrol's going to move up? Are you saying they're going to Tickford? I think if the Castrol will stay involved in the sport, it's too important to their branding structure. Um, so my gut feel would be that they would just um, increase uh, their presence on Car Fifty Five. Well, maybe we should give Castro a call and and ask them what they and let it. Well, they may not even tell us, but we'll ask the question anyway. So, yeah. okay, we spent enough on driver movements there. We could spend another hour on this, but we're not. Um, I want to get on <laughs> to the last subject because people's people's ears are bleeding right now. TV. <laughs> TV, it's all kind of blown up a little bit. I mean, look, the state of play is that my understanding is Channel 7 and Foxtel are now going to use the same crew for everything. Intros, outros, top and tails, the main telecast, all that kind of stuff. None of this, Foxtel have one, Channel 10 had another one, 
uh, with Grant Denyer, which we were lucky enough to uh, talk to Grant about, but that, that for Bathurst, but that looks like a thing of the past now. So what you see on Foxtel is what you see on the free to air. So that means there's some areas for commentators to lose their jobs because, again, there's only so many seats for commentary. They're like wrecks, right? And they're trying to reduce them and not increase them. Uh, looks like Mark Scaife's in. Um, he looks like he's – and Jessica Yates, it looks like they're uh, locked in. The ones up in the air, and this is a big one, Neil Crompton's still undecided. L- Mark Larkham is still undecided. We would think they would keep him no matter what. Um, but anyway, he's still undecided. And Greg Murphy is undecided, looking like he may not get a gig. Um, first of all, he's over in um, New Zealand. New Zealand. Secondly, he ha- he's a bit exy. They're all saying he's quite expensive to uh, to hire. I like Greg Murphy. I can understand why he's a little expensive. But anyway, he's also the head of the New Zealand you know, New Zealand love him. And if you want to re- get the New Zealand people really on side, you get, you get Murph involved, right? So just continuing, the commentary lineup has been complicated by them announcing that Charlie Robson, formerly of High Five uh, fame, is now part of the commentary team. So that leaves all – that's taken up a few spots – and there's Andrew Jones, which they're expecting to keep because he's quite insightful and it's all uh, quite interesting. But without, let, let's stick with no Crompton and no Larco. That's pretty big. Well, in some ways, you know, change is sometimes a good thing. You know, you can hear the same voices for too long and it, um, and you don't get the resonance. And I think the concern that we're hearing out of supercars is that um, Mark Scaife and Neil Crompton are too similar in terms of what they talk about. So they're looking for a bit more variation in the words that are coming out, which means you get rid of one of them um, or you push one into a different role. So the word on the street is that Scaife's keeping his role as the main commentator. Um, Jess Yates will keep her hosting type roles and somebody else will probably sit beside Scaife. Um, we're not sure about that one. Yet. Well, it used to be Crompton. It used to be Crompton, yeah. Mark could Beretta, be. of course. It could be, yeah. So Mark Beretta, of course, was heavily involved in in supercars when Seven was involved last time. So he's yeah, going to come back in as a can I, They'll probably take him, but I'll, can I be honest? He knows nothing and he doesn't care about knowing about it because he sees himself as a, a, a front talky guy. And so he doesn't study the sport. He doesn't get that involved. I, I know how it works. Um, but the fact is, he he doesn't study up on the sport. He just sees himself as a talking head, and he, he, as soon as he leaves a track, he forgets about it. Yeah, I'm not so sure that's really true. I mean, I've you know spent quite. It's a bit what of time he said. It's what he yeah, said. He's not interested. Well, I think he is. He likes the sport. It's his. It's he a likes the money. But, uh, I'll put it out no. there. Yeah, sure. He's interested in the sport. We're all interested in the sport. By covering the sport, he will not make an extra cent on his wage. He's already paid by Channel 7. Um, so he's not going to get any more money to do it. He's just going to spend a bit of time away from home. So I'm not so sure. I'm not sure he's such a bad choice in a sense. And he is, you know, the face of Channel 7 when it comes to this sort of thing anyway. Um, but for me, the more interesting thing is Charlie Robinson. Um, as you say, you know, ex-high five. But she is a motorsport nut. You know, if you're following her on Twitter, you're getting lots of coverage out of it. You know, that's what, she's, um, that's what I'm she's saying. She knows him. more about it than Mark Beretta. 
<laughs> she's dating a racing driver, um, if not married to him. I can't remember what the exact relationship is there. But she's going to be brought in to do some colour type things. So what we're doing is we're finally starting to learn from the overseas markets and how they build colour behind the scenes. So it's not just about what's happening on the track. We want to tell some stories away from the actual stuff that's going on on the track. And that's where I think you need a combination of like a Charlie Robinson, and I think she's a quite an insightful pickup by the crew, and a Mark Larkham who has the ability to talk technology and high-tech stuff in a way that people find fascinating. In layman's and, terms. Yeah, and my experience from that is sitting down this year for the first time in many years watching Bathurst at home um, with people who've never watched car racing much at all. And the one comment that came back was, that bloke's good. You know, they loved listening to Larko trying to explain the topics to them. So, so if they, they cut Larko, they're stupid. So they didn't Here's mention they did, so they didn't mention Cromley talking about tire degradation, but they did talk, no. mention that Larko was good. Well, maybe yep. maybe some common sense needs to be taken in there and and at least lock Larko in. I thought Larko was great too. He he wasn't overtaxing. Yeah. It, no. it wasn't like he was going banging on about it the whole race, right? No, but I did get bored. In. I did get bored when um, Cromley and Scafe started going on about tire degradation and some of those technical aspects. Yeah. I kept, and they were missing passing moves because they were too busy trying to tell me how it's all working with their setup and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, there's a passing move happening in front of it. It happened a couple of yeah. times. And oh. see, I think that's because they were handling it wrong. But when they want to talk about those, you know, tire deg or other sorts of things like that, it's a, okay, Larko, tell us about tire deg. And then Larko will give you tire deg. And then you can switch back to them and the commentators can comment on the race. So unless you've got a special comments person, which I think they're going to use Craig Lowndes for, then you, you don't have that thing. So you've got to give it some life. The reality is it's got to have some vibrancy to it. It's got to be something that you you get excited to watch. And so that's what Arco to me brings. He brings a great excitement. Jess Yates, I think, is incredibly professional. Um, and, you know, she came in as a non-motor racing person, but now she understands the sport. She spent her time learning it. Scaife, of course, you know, his credentials are there. We all know what he is. So you can build a really good team out of that. It's long, okay. What you've got to do, and we've spoken about this, you and I have spoken about this, that, you know, do you dumb down the telecast? Do you take the technology out of it and try to let it rely on just its entertainment value? And I think motorsport is a knowledge sport. The more knowledge you have, the more interesting motorsport is. But if and you're interested, you'll go and find that out a bit, right? You'll go and yeah, but you seek have that to. out. Well, but we come back again. Why? I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't get all that in a day. I didn't get all that in the day when I started following motorsport and all I did was yep. watch Bathurst and it wasn't over over complicated. I just wanted to watch the racing. It's a, and and so it's exciting. And like it leads me to my other pet hate. Commentators talking over driver radio bits. And they were renowned. Supercars commentators were renowned. They wouldn't let the those, you know, when they put the bit of a driver conversation yeah. over the radio, they just talk over it every time. Like F1 yeah. had its had it down pat, right? But no, oh, not the supercar commentators. So yeah. seriously, this kicks up the bum going on. Yeah, but we're also trying to grow the sport. So if I've got somebody who's already a motor racing fan who's going to be happy enough to pick up Supercar Extra magazine to read what's going on, they're already there. I don't need to change what they're doing. I don't need to change their thought processes or anything at all. What I need to do is change the person who walks into the room when somebody's got Supercar racing on the TV and finds it interesting enough to get engaged. So whether that's, you know, a 50-year-old person sitting beside me on the couch or whether it's a 10-year-old child sitting there, 
they have to be given something to make them engaged in the sport. Um, and that means your commentators need to be good. They need to be alive. They need to be not monotonal. They need to to have all of the the aspects that make good commentary. Um, oh. And I still go back. The Fox, the the Formula One stuff on Fox is really good. They've got Martin Brundle who does all of the the serious talk. Um, I don't even know their names. This is the interesting part. But the bloke who sits beside him has got all of the animation and all of the excitement about things and talks about the flow of the race, the commentary of the race. Yep. Martin Brundle does your special comments effectively talking about all the bits and pieces. They've got, you know, Crofty in pit lane talking about what's going on in the pit stops and the strategy. And then we've got somebody else who wanders around the paddock area doing our colour and, and, and every round they've got one team owner, team principal online yep. that they can fire questions and, and you talk to him. So yeah. I, so I it's agree. Not, it's not hard. It's not hard to build a really good commentary team. Um, yeah, we've got enough talent here to do it. You've just got to have the insight to say, well, we actually got to back it up with a bit of clever thinking as well. We can't just keep doing the same thing. Yeah, remember Australian TV commentary uh, broadcasting of car racing was revolutionary around the world. When we brought those race cams in, Channel Seven put race cams in at Bathurst. That was the first place in the world they ever got them to work properly. You know, so we innovated that and it's now, you know, globally accepted. So our technology's done all of that. You know, the fly cam that used to go up and down the pit straight at Bathurst, you know, we were first people to do that type of thing. When they had it going down the, the dipper, unfortunately one year it fell off its hook and <laughs> was a problem. But, you know, it was a good thought. It was a good thought. But, you know, think about how you want to do it differently. And, and you know, say, I think you need to keep some continuity. You can't just change everything because you've dropped Channel 10 for Channel 7. So you need to have some Channel 7 in it, and which is why Beretta's you know, a Channel 7 person, and that's why he will come into play instead of, you know, what was there at Channel 10, for instance. But you've got to give it some life. And I think some of the things I've heard are really good and some of the things I find a little bit worrying. So basically through what we've all been talking about, we've talked about everybody else except Neil Crompton. So you reckon the one that's likely to lose you is going to be Neil Crompton? Yeah. That's the rumours. Okay, it's a better – I know, all well, there's rumours that Larko could be going too, but we all say yeah. they should keep Larko and people are saying they should keep Larko. Cromley's a voice of supercars. Oh, and he has been for so long as well. I mean, he's, he, he's the respected voice. And in some ways he's also very good at taking complex things and, and putting it out into ways that people can understand it a little bit. Perhaps not as good as Larko in that sense because he's not as, he's not as animated or as alive as Larko mm. is. But your question is always going to be, is you know, are Mark Scaife and Neil Crompton too similar? You know, So do you have two people sitting there doing the same thing? And I think that's what it will come down to an argument of. I think it will end up being a debate over, is it Scaife or is it Crompton that you want? Okay. Well, this show has dragged out extra long than I thought. We may even make the uh, we may even make the Mike Drawer interview a separate interview. If you, we'll definitely have it on yes. its own because it's a little insightful. He um, Mike Drawer, like I said, work uh, with the, uh, worked on the South Australian Motorsport Board, um, which was renowned for not just setting up the Grand Prix and then supercars, but they were also asked to set up other events around Australia to help other other governments and councils put their uh, events together because it was a wealth of knowledge in how to market and um, set up for motorsport, which is a 
total different kettle of fish than anything else sports sponsorship wise or anything like that and obviously um, with them going in the south australian government taking over control putting it in their tourism sector um within a bigger they were a smaller fish in a bigger pond um it didn't get the it didn't get the people putting in and trying to make it as good as it was. They just thought it was just like, ah, tick the boxes and people will come. It sounds like that. So, okay. Clarky, thanks for joining me. Listeners, thanks for, thanks for listening to us. Um, you've listened to the first episode of Rev Limiter, which is the old Supercars in preview. Thanks. Like I said, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Clarky, we've got a guest on the line. A good old friend, isn't it? Mike Drewer. Um, can't believe how many times we've run into Mike in Adelaide, um, standing around there, and even up in Darwin. Like, that was even a terrific event that they were running up there as well. So uh, one of the good guys of motorsport. Well, we've got him on the line because the big story is that South Australia have pretty much dumped uh, supercars, and um, Mike is, was heavily involved in the the South Australian Motorsport Board, which uh, which ran or helped advise the event there for a lot of years. In fact, Mike, how are you? Very, very well. Yeah, could, could you just go through, uh, just to start off with, could you go through what was the actual organisation you worked for and your position that was there when you were working for it, and, and how long was that organisation going for? The organisation that was set up to run the, the, the V8 event on the Adelaide Street Circuit was called the South Australian Motorsport Board. I was recruited to that from day one before the first event, in 1999, or just prior to that event, and uh, was a member of the management team working directly for that board in terms of running the event. That, in my position, was uh, that of publicity, media, and advertising manager, but I was also uh, on the the marketing committee of that board and also uh, the event committee of that board. And that event committee was the, the group of people that decided what the event was going to look like, uh, how the race was going to be run, what support races were on, what uh, other attractions, e.g. concerts, special activities, all of the content that uh, that the event would present to the public, uh, they were the responsibilities we had. So you have a pretty good idea what's happened, first of all, when the government decided to take it away from you guys and take it in-house and then a little bit of an idea of what may be going on now? Look, that's right. There's no doubt that the South Australian Motorsport Board uh, was a newly formed body to run the supercar event uh, after Tony Cochran had uh, secured a contract with the then South Australian government. Now, the Motorsport Board was modelled on the Australian Formula One Grand Prix Board, which successfully ran Formula One in Adelaide for 11 years, and I was part of that. So we, we knew the model very well, and myself, Andrew Daniels, Brian Gleeson, who had all worked on Formula One, were brought in under the Motorsport Board to run the, the, the V8 race in Adelaide. And the model, uh, and, and I, you know, I'm not saying this with any false modesty, but the, the, the model was exceptionally successful because we knew what we were doing. We'd already won, run the best Formula One race, and Eccleston had said he'd never seen anything like it. And we applied that principle to running supercars in Australia. Um, now, 
Tony Cochran had never seen anything like it. The drivers' teams had never seen anything like it. Since what we basically did was fill the garages with touring cars instead of Formula One cars, and it was highly successful. Unfortunately, the previous government in South Australia decided that they knew better and dumped the South Australian Motorsport Board and decided to run the event themselves inside government, inside the South Australian Tourism Commission, with a crowd call event South Australia. And no expertise of running any major event particularly, uh, and certainly no motorsport expertise. And uh, and I'm afraid uh, what we've seen now with this demise of the event, uh, that's what's caused it. And the Premier of South Australia, instead of saying, oh, the event's dropping in popularity, etc., he should be having an inquiry into the South Australian Tourism Commission as to why they ran the event so badly. The, the Tourism Commission in South Australia is the problem, not the solution. Really? So, okay, so I'll just step back. Uh, let's talk about this, the board when it was uh, going at the time. And let's let's concentrate on the supercar side of things because that's most of where the angst is coming from, from the supercar people about how the government may have mishandled this and what were they thinking and all comments in between. With the board, uh, obviously you were, you were part of the board. How many members were on the board again? Uh, look, um, I, the board probably had about eight board members. I okay. wasn't a board member. I was, a, I was a, a member of the management committee that reported to the board, um, and we had a, we had various committees uh, under the under the the board itself. But the board was headed by a guy called Roger Cook, who ended up on the Avesco board as well. And a very successful businessman, Andrew Daniels was the general manager. He'd worked in Formula One. Uh, he was a colleague of mine in the Formula One days. Uh, we had a guy called Brian Gleeson who did the concerts or whatever and was in- involved in Formula One. So the structure was, was, was a very, very solid one. And as I say, we had people on the motorsport board uh, like Chris Smurden, a very successful South Australian businessman, but who'd also been involved in motorsport, used to run Bathurst as a privateer and ex-Larry Perkins cars. People who had not only business knowledge, but knowledge of motorsport and knowledge of how to run big events, uh, particularly, you know, the event called Formula One. <laughs> so you actually reported to the board about things and sort of helped them make decisions. Is that is that what is that what you did? Absolutely, absolutely. I was on the, the PR, marketing, and advertising committee, reporting to the board. I was on the motorsport uh, subcommittee, which reported to the board in terms of the event program. You know, what support races we would have, etc. Uh, and, and through those committees, we decided things like concerts, like the innovations that we brought to the event. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting in terms of, you know, you think about the highlights of that, that event. I mean, we were the guys that brought stadium super trucks to Australia. Yep. You know, we were the guys that had the first V8 ute races in Australia. We had the first saloon car category races in Australia. We put GT, Australian GT on. You know, Aussie racing cars. I mean... <laughs> There wasn't a year that went by that we didn't have new innovative product for that event, in addition to obviously having a great uh, V8 supercar event. And uh, all of that's gone by the wayside, and uh, and now they wonder why, you know, things dropped off a little. <laughs> so was there a process when you were trying to think up new ideas or uh, uh, one year had finished, I assume once 
uh, an event had finished, you were thinking about the next year. You may have even been thinking about the next year, a year and a half ahead. I'm not too sure. But was there a process you went through when you started trying to think new ideas? How did you guys go about that and kind of making that happen? Because there's a lot of bit of it's smoke and mirrors to the, to the average Joe like me. Look, uh, absolutely. We would think uh, over 12 months ahead. But we'd also had very extensive debriefing sessions and planning sessions for the event. But things, for instance, like stadium super trucks, I saw those while I was in America. We would always be looking for different different opportunities. I mean, we we brought a, you know, a Bugatti Veyron to do track demonstrations one year. Um, you know, we would just go around and say, well, what would it be that would attract more people, both from a, a purist point of view, but also from a sheer entertainment point of view? You know, I mean, Ken Block, you know, when we first approached Ken Block to bring, the, you know, his, his car out here. Wow, you know. These were things that, when you think about it, we always tried to say, look, let's start with a clean sheet of paper and not limit ourselves by either the the likelihood or the cost or whatever. You know, we'd say, if we had a clean sheet of paper, what would we do that would make this event bigger and better and more promotable to the crowd? And um, that's what we would do. So it was an ongoing process, 12 months in advance. And, of course, we worked on the event full-time. I mean, I did do other events. I did the PR and media for the Darwin race at the same time. Um, but by and large, it was a full-time occupation. And that's the thing. You've got to have an absolute commitment to these events if you're going to get big, successful results. And, you know, inside tourism, uh, it's just another thing. And as I say, they had no expertise. And I don't believe any appetite for it and certainly no enthusiasm for it. Well, why do you think the government did go away from you guys and take it in-house? Was it a cost-saving exercise or was there something else to it? Um, look, it's, it's probably a question that I don't know the full answer. I have my suspicions. I think, and it even goes back to the Formula One days, I believe tourism people, bureaucrats, etc., were basically envious of the success of Formula One and the, the supercar event. Because they were the people who say, oh, look, we're promoting South Australia, we're doing this, we're doing this. But clearly the biggest jewel in the crown at the time was Formula One. The biggest jewel was then the V8 the, event. And I think because they didn't feel it was, you know, it was their, their bag, they just didn't, you know, they grudgingly use it for promotion, et cetera. But they didn't own it and therefore they didn't want it. And so it, its independence, I think, has been a success and ultimately it's failure. And so first time this, uh, you can't actually blame Victoria for taking this one away from you. So <laughs> there's one little bonus no. for us there, but um, there must be a bit of angst there, a bit of anger from not just from you, but the people around you and the people of South Australia who are into this race that's, that's been ripped away from them. I mean, it's, I mean, it's unfathomable from this side of the, the border, but uh, it must be sh- shocking over there. Oh, look, absolutely, as you say. I mean, a lot of South Australians, you know, still haven't got over the loss of uh, Formula One to Melbourne. And I mean, or I, I, I went after after working on all the Formula One races here and worked for Ron Walker on the race, first two races in Melbourne. So I crossed over. But um, there are still a lot of people who are pretty dark about that happening, and that's the state rivalry and all of that sort of thing. But this one, it's an own goal. And then people are saying, what is wrong with this government? 
it's not like they've lost an event to, to some other bid or some other city, etc. They've lost it because they've made this crazy decision. And, of course, the, the reasons given by the Premier that, oh, it's because of the COVID-19 thing, do you know he got up at his media conference and said, oh, well, you know, you can't hold these things anymore. There hasn't been a street race this year. I mean, he was that ill-informed. He didn't, re- you know, know about Townsville. Well, I thought that um, too. Yeah, you know, he, did, he didn't know. I mean, you know, Bathurst is a street race. I mean, it's a very different street race, as you we all know. But, but you know, not to know that Townsville went ahead just shows either ignorance or stupidity, either on his behalf or that of his advisors. He then said, "Oh, well, you know, it's going to be too difficult under the sort of the, this COVID uh, situation we live in." Then the next day, our minister of, oh, sorry, our head of public health got up and said the government had never asked SA Health their opinion on the merits or whether they could or could not run uh, the, the the event with with pro uh, you know COVID conditions. After all, we had thirty thousand people at Adelaide Oval, um, and you know it is a ticketed event, and you can have you know social distancing, you can do this, that, and everything else, and. You know, the Premier's got up and said, oh, no, it's impossible to do. SA Health say, well, we weren't actually asked. So in terms of what else is happening in the world, let alone just up the road in Townsville, the government looks stupid. Then they look stupid on the basis that they, their own health officials and experts said, no, well, we weren't asked whether it was possible or not. And then the Premier then goes even further to say, well, no, we won't. That's it. No decision won't think about reversing the decision because there was also the you know the the, the possibility of hold the event as the last round of of the year, which would have given that extra time to see what was happening with the COVID deal, etc. And but to say no, not only to next year's event, but to say just tear up the contract. I mean, it's just stupid and dumb politics because any politician that says you know never never is is probably going to miss out. You know, in the basis that, that things do change. So, is the is the Fringe Festival going ahead next year, or is that off for two thousand twenty one? Yes, yes, no. They they're claiming that the Fringe Festival will go ahead in some form or another. They've announced that Tour Down Under, the you know the, the bike bike race is not going ahead uh, on the basis that largely the international teams can't get here, and you sort of get that. But they're saying in some form or other, the Fringe Festival and the festival will go ahead. I mean, this is the whole point, is that, you know, the, the V8 race is a ticketed event, therefore the tracing and tracking of the people who attend is possible. And if, as I say, if you can get 30,000 people in a stadium and somehow say that social distancing, well, you know, I'm not a health expert, but if you look at uh, the amount of space around uh, the Adelaide Street Circuit, you know, with a lot of work, admittedly, but... If you couldn't, you know, socially distance the people, I, 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 I'm not sure. And the amazing thing about all this is, and I think this is the thing that's really irked South Australians, whether they're pro-motorsport or not, it appears they've got a government that sort of said everything's too hard. You know, we're going to give up. We're not going to have any of these events anymore. Sorry, it's a bit absurd, isn't it? Like, you're talking about the amount of people. Yeah, we're pulling, what, 100,000, I think, at peak at, um, for the race. And a lot of those are in those huge grandstands, which, as you say, it's very easy to sit people there, 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 there and there and control it. And they're spread out over, you know, what, three kilometres instead of uh, one little stadium. So I don't buy that excuse. Um, it strikes me that it's just 
well, pretty, it's an excuse. We're throwing it out there to try and justify the decision that we've already made. Well, I, I think that's right. And I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, that it's, it's, they, they, I, my, my view, and it can only be my view, I can't prove it, but I think that the government or tourism had made a decision some time ago. They didn't like this event. They ran the event down over the last couple of years, and then this COVID thing came up, and they thought, here we go, this is it. And, I mean, the crazy thing about it, the time when all the hotels and tourist operators and whatever are screaming for business, and, you know, the, the injection in terms of bed nights in the hotels, etc. even from intrastate visitation, people coming from country areas in South Australia, all of these places, you know, they, you know to know now, they're not going to get one booking in March because there's no V8 supercar race. They're all screaming. I mean, and the government's saying, oh, we'll come up with something new. Well, you know, they, if, again, smart politics would have been, you would have had that something new uh, all ready to go. <laughs> um, and you, you need something new now, not in 12 months, two years' time. So, look, I, I just think it has been a very stupid decision and uh, in terms of the lack of appetite for the event by SA Tourism Events SA and, and an even more stupid decision by a government who bought it rather than have a look at the people who ran the event badly. Yeah. It's quite bizarre, though. We, we were talking at in the press room this year thinking that, you know, like it's been run to a slow decline. Like when they tried the two 125K races, I mean, that was just ludicrous in the extreme. But they've run it down. And it's gone from being one of the greatest sporting events in this country um, and clearly in terms of a motorsport event, the best motorsport event we hold in Australia, regardless of Bathurst or the Melbourne Grand Prix, it was the best run, the most enjoyable race to go to all year. The Sunday race would invariably be the probably the best motor race we saw all year as well. And it just faded away. Well, the people, uh, a lot of people said it was Bathurst without the dust. Yeah, but we, we just couldn't understand. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't understand sitting on the outside and especially not coming from South Australia. So we don't vote over there. We don't do any of that stuff. How they could let it go from being that to what we got this year. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that's exactly right. And the, as I say, the only conclusion you can come to, it was, it's either been total incompetence by those people running the event or the fact that it was deliberate because they wanted it, the event to fade away. Uh, and, and, I mean, they've, they've certainly succeeded with that. But as you say, the decisions in terms of the, r- r- the concept race itself, dumb, stupid, whatever, uh, and... Just things in terms of, you know, relocating stuff in, ar- around the facility. Uh, you know, everything had been run down. And look, you know, and I know this will sound egotistical, but, I mean, but the PR, after I left as media and PR manager, the crowd that they've employed had no motorsport knowledge whatsoever. None. Zero. Zip. And even up until this year's event, I've been still getting calls, even from local South Australian media, saying, oh, Mike, can you help us with the, you know, contacts for a driver, for a team, whatever? And I say, why don't you contact these new guys? They didn't even know who they were. They, there was no uh, servicing of media. There's no servicing of, of a whole group of people. Now, you can't run a successful event like that. Um, I mean, you know, we committed ourselves, you know, to 110% effort 
um, as you guys would know. You know, I mean, we ran the media centre like a Formula One media centre. You know, everything was there. There were people that actually cared about getting the best information out, not only to the media there, but to the public. I mean, I do a radio program every night of the event on Five AA, one of the local commercial stations here. We would have drivers there. We did a huge media launch every year. I mean, this sort of stuff doesn't happen by accident. It does. It happens because people are enthusiastic, driven by a board who absolutely demanded, as you say, the best in terms of motorsport in the country. So, what's the chance of getting it back? Is it? Do you feel like it's it's a done deal and it's gone, or is there a chance? I know there's a bit of a movement going, and I saw Penny's got a little note on her Facebook page, Save the Adelaide 500. I mean, is there a chance? Look, I think, I mean, there's certainly a lot of feeling out there in uh, in the public now and on social media. Now, whether that, uh, whether that equates to a real chance to get it back, I mean, as I say, I think the Premier has been just plain stupid by saying, no, that's it, because it, it, it will become an election issue. Now, there's an election in South Australia in a couple of years' time. Now, whether it's still an election issue in two years' time, uh, who knows? I think it may well be because of South Australia's long feeling of, you know, <laughs> the Formula One thing and, and, and the fact this was one of the sort of hallmark events in, in the state. And if the, if the opposition make it a real election issue, and they're already saying now, you know, we are going to investigate every way of getting this thing back. But I think it will require a change of government. <laughs> Mm. And I think that's entirely possible. I think that's entirely possible. I think this government, um, I mean, it's had a, got a few other issues as well, but most what government doesn't. But I think it's shot itself in the in the foot over a, an event which is in the very heart and the DNA of, of South Australians and people in Adelaide because of the history, the heritage, the prestige that motorsport has brought South Australia. A couple of questions, Mike. Do you have, and I'm not asking for exact details or intimate details, but do you, do you have an understanding of how the funding aspect went? I'm hearing the government put in over $10 million a year to set up the event, sanctioning fees, all that kind of stuff to make it happen. Sure, it generated over $40 million in revenue for the state. And that's obviously the figures that a lot of people are talking about going, why did you stop it? You're getting four times your money back into the state. Can you educate us, or did you do you know how that ten million plus was? Is that even a correct figure? If and any money that the government spent, how was it spent? I mean, do you know kind of how much went to supercars to get them there, and how much went to setting up the track and stuff like that? Look. The figures that you mention are sort of ballpark figures, which I believe are approximately right. I haven't been involved with the finances or the event itself now for uh, three, four years. Um, so I don't know what the latest figures would be. But it's, it's in that order. But in terms of the sanction fee of supercars, I'm not aware what that particular figure is. But in broad terms, yes, the government spending maybe 8 to $10 million on the whole lot. Obviously, the biggest cost, uh, apart from the sanction fee, whatever that may be, was the build cost of a temporary street circuit. doesn't come cheap, you know, just to build the garage alone, you know, well over a million dollars to put that up and take it down every year, then all the, all the temporary barriers, the rest of the infrastructure, etc. But as you say, the return of, of you know, let's say it was $10 million, 
the return to get, you know, $45, $50 million in economic benefit plus, you know, the, the creation of a full-time job equivalents of, 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 you know, four, five hundred or so people uh, plus the promotion value of the telecast and all the rest that goes with it. Yeah, most people, and certainly most people realise that is extremely good value. Uh, and that's why this thing doesn't make sense. Now, in the, the last event held, this is event, you know, there's claims by tourism that there was a decline in the economic benefit of about 17%, a, a decline of about 18% in, in jobs created by the event, uh, a decline in visitation of about 21%, and a decline in attendance of about 18 19%. That's probably quite true because if you run the event back, you're not going to get a better result. And that's, and that's the thing that I just find quite surprising. And, and as you guys have said, the event just wasn't up to scratch compared to what it was. So no surprises that the return on investment was reduced. And that, that's the stupid thing about this. It's a circular argument that, you know, uh, money in, money out, and, they, and effort in, effort out. But they didn't do that, and now they're saying, oh, well, the event's not as successful as it used to be. Well, golly gosh, I wonder why. Okay, uh, ticketing, selling tickets to the event. Whose event is it? South Australia's event? Do they do they get the money when someone pays for a ticket, or was it supercars? That's running? correct. Yeah, okay. No, no. Um, um, the, clip, the You know, supercars get their sanction fee, um, they get, you know, some, you know, right, access to some track signage, you know, revenue from track signage, etc. But the, the the event itself um, gets the ticket revenue, um, so that is income to the event. Plus, obviously, you know, the event, you know, organises the catering, corporate facilities, yada yada yada. So they get income from all of those sorts of sources. You know, VH uh, deal is is their sanction fee plus. Uh, track signage essentially as their sources of income. The main thing for me is that, you know, is one of the chances of it coming back and uh, you know, clearly that's going to rely on a bit of political change. Um, but I think, yeah, the people of Australia, certainly the motorsport fans, they've spoken. You know, they're not happy with this decision at all. I'm not happy. I mean, we could see it coming, um, but we saw it also fall from grace. We saw it fall from being the, you know, the best motorsport event in the country, um, pretty much like the Adelaide Grand Prix changed the way Formula One was held around the world. Um, you know, the Adelaide 500 changed the way supercars was done in Australia. So the history and its impact on the sport is, is immeasurable. Um, and it's just sad to see that, um, that people without foresight um, have allowed it to drop away. That's it. I think that's a good summary. And as I say, the most remarkable thing about it is that who would have thought at this day and time when the need for economic stimulation and to keep, you know, positive about... Uh, keeping things going, that uh, they would kick such an own goal and, and get rid of it themselves. I mean, if the event had been lost by some, by some other means, everybody would have gone, you know, that's terrible. But for the government itself to do this, is I, I, there's no other word for it except it's just plain stupid. Yeah. Well, the, um, <laughs> the strange part is there's probably no reason to come back to Adelaide now for me, so uh, I might get to tail them then, but uh, getting all the way to Adelaide is going to be a bit of a stretch now. Well, that's right. And, and, I, and look, you know, I mean, I've lived in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, uh, all over the place and, in, you know, overseas during, during my, my lifetime. But I was born in Adelaide. And, I mean, Adelaide has 
been known as a bit of a sleepy village and yeah, wah, wah, wah. And, and you know, at some point, you know, has met, been met with some sort of degree of cynicism in the eastern states, you know. But Formula One put Adelaide on the map and this race, as you say, the best run race, the best event in motorsport event in Australia, you know, enhances or had enhanced Adelaide's reputation enormously. And, you, you know, that's, you know, invaluable. You can't put a price on that. I mean, so it's not only the, the, the immediate effect that this has had in terms of the loss of this event and what it will mean for a whole range of number of people, but it's reputational loss. I just think it's just stupid because, you know, we all know the rivalry between cities and states in Australia. And, you know, you know, people are going, here's Adelaide, shoots itself in the foot. And for no reason other than the fact they decided to try and run an event in a different manner, failed spectacularly, whether deliberately or not, and then decide that's the reason they want to, they want to stop something in the middle of a, a period in our history where everything needs to be as positive as possible. The thing that amazes me is there's the Premier saying, oh, it would cost too much to run it, and yada, 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 and COVID makes it too difficult. Well, they're running the Melbourne Cup without, without, a, uh, without a crowd there. I mean, I, even if you took a bit of pain for a year, you know, economically, I can imagine if all of a sudden somebody in, in Melbourne said, well, we're not going to run the Melbourne Cup because it's, it's too hard and it's not going to make as much money this year. Don't think it'd last long. <laughs> well, first of all, we've got a public <laughs> holiday with it. We'll string you up for that alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, but you, you see the comparison I'm making. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it, you, know, you know, literally... Even if it was a non-spectator event for a year because of COVID, which clearly it doesn't have to be a totally, and even if the, the economic return, you know, even if they, the government had to, you know, burn a bit more money for a year, I reckon, you know, that would be the best thing they could have done because, you know, here they are, the governments are trying to sort of work out incentive schedules and that to keep things going, Um and what they do is kill off, you know, the, the biggest event in the state. And certainly, you know, in terms of bed nights of hotels, the pubs, the bloody cabs, Uber, whatever, all of those people are relying on this influx of every year of, uh, uh, of all these people because of the event. And even at a reduced number, it's still good business. Um, uh, did you want to add anything else before we kind of wrap it up? I mean, I could probably think of lots of other questions and have you talking all day, but uh, <laughs> let's not do that. No, look, I, look guys, I think, I, think that's, I think that's pretty well it. I, I mean, really, it's, uh, really appreciate it. You know, I'm retired now and I could sort of go, oh, yeah, what the hell. But, you know, all of the guys, you know, the people we worked on, you know, we're very, we're very proud of that event. And, I mean, it wasn't by sort of chance that, you know, we were asked to sort of run the Australian um, MotoGP at, at Eastern Creek when Victoria lost it that year. You know, they asked us to run that. Um, you know, we, we were involved in a whole lot of things which, you know, presumably other people thought, you know, we must know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden, this crowd, you know, goes and dumps the board and everything else and, and thinks they can run it, you know, by people who don't know. So I just find that, you know, Frankly, I find it, you know, insulting. But anyway, that's the way it goes. So, so the board was proficient in running motorsport events, specifically tailored towards getting people to come to that event from other states and stuff like that, even international. Absolutely. So there was, there was like, absolutely, it was, it was like there was an industry there, and they've just got rid of that industry and all that expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you take for instance, I mean. You know, as you, you guys would recall, the fact that we, you know, Murray Walker had come over year after year, 
for a touring car event. He's the guy yep. that said, you know, you know, it was great, the greatest touring car event in the world. I mean, all right, you know, Murray had been in Adelaide because of Formula One, but, you know, that broadened the, the whole image, the whole prestige and the promotion of the event well outside South Australia, well outside of Australia, you know, into that international era and area. And that's the sort of thing we would do. And, you know, to, to market the event, I mean, the amount of copy in that we'd get in England. Now, you know, I'm not saying we've got a huge number of poms coming across to watch the event, but they knew where all of us, they knew where Adelaide was. You know, if they were coming to Australia for a holiday, oh, that's where, you know, um, and it was very easy to bounce off the back of that in terms of other attractions, you know, whether it be the, the wine regions or yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, we spent a lot of time. And it wasn't by just pure sort of chance that we did things like that. There was a lot of thought put into it to get that sort of reputation. And, I mean, you know, like, like and, you know, Tony Cochran was no mug, or I was an ex-Adelaide boy um, originally, but... You know, it wasn't by, you know, coincidence that he decided to come to approach Adelaide, you know, not that not long after he'd taken over, you know, Vesco and all that business, to run a, a supercar event on the, on the Adelaide street circuit because he knew it would be the biggest single thing he could do to position that category. You know, let's face it, Bathurst was there, Bathurst is Bathurst, but to actually launch this thing as a major big deal, you know, he's a smart guy. I mean, you know, it, that's why he picked Adelaide. I mean, it's... it's and, and, I mean, if you look at the uh, the relative the relative success or otherwise of of other races, I mean, you know, supercars have never really been able to crack the Sydney market and whatever, but Adelaide was a market that could be successful and, I mean, the, again, you know, you put a, a big event in a smaller city that totally embraces it, that's smart business. That is smart business. You know, it's a bit like, you know, the difference, which I noticed, with Formula One. You know, when Formula One and Adelaide it embraced the whole town. You know, <laughs> Albert Park, yeah, you know, the race is there. I mean, I used, I used to live in South Melbourne. And, I mean, you guys said, no, I mean, you know, sort of outside that, direct precinct, a lot of people wouldn't even know it was on or care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's certainly not the same as it was in Adelaide. I mean, I remember when, when I went to my first Grand Prix in Adelaide, you know, the buzz and the excitement was, was just amazing. Um, and you saw That's the right. same thing when you went back for the Adelaide 500. The, you know, the city was there, it was into it. You know, it was a full-on party for a weekend um, just to celebrate That's right. racing um, and to celebrate Adelaide. Yeah. And as I say, yeah. Look, yeah. Adelaide's not the most exciting city in the world. I can tell you that right now. Um, but yeah, exactly. motor racing, motor racing has put it on the map. All all motor racing that I've been involved with that's gone to Adelaide has been uh, well supported by South Australians, Adelaideans, whatever you whatever you call Adelaide. Yes, yeah. <laughs> people yeah. from Adelaide, including Oscar NASCAR at the Adelaide International Raceway. Yep. It was always crowded. It was always packed. Um, they that's had a right. good crowd. They was you know, hanging off the rafters for that racing. So I always find that Adelaide embraces the public, embraces motorsport really well, more than all, any yeah. other city in this country. It all falls back and that to goes back. heritage. I mean, it's where holding exactly presence. Like the whole, yeah, the whole economy of Adelaide was pretty much underpinned by the motor industry out on that. Um, out That's towards right. Elizabeth. Um, so it makes perfect yeah. sense, and it made sense, and still does make sense. And you know, hopefully, the voters, when it comes time, hold this bloke accountable. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and as you say, the support and the history of motorsport in South Australia 
I mean, you know, it was Port Wakefield was where Jack Brabham won his first Australian Grand Prix. Yeah. Uh, you know, in South Australia, you know, we had an Australian Grand Prix at New York, but we had another one at Victor Harbour. You know, we had one at Lobethal. I mean, a, South Australia has probably—I'm not saying you know other Phillip Islands and Bathurst and you know uh, circuits, Warwick Farms and whatever—they've uh, you know, obviously been a huge part of the sport. But but given what a, South Australia has done in those, you know, and with those those races, other than. Uh, Rather than the Port Wakefield race, the other ones were all on street circuits. Uh, funnily enough, um, those early Grand Prix, um, you know, it's always been involved heavily in motorsport. You know, the home of Elfin, you know, but the biggest Australian motor racing manufacturer, you know, that's ever been the home of Barana. I mean, you know, you just the, the links with motorsport and motoring and automotive production, etc., in South Australia have always been very, 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 very strong. We punch well above its weight. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 But there you go. So I, I think I think you know, I, and I'm, I said to Channel Seven the other night when they asked me to, for an interview, and I said in the interview, I said, I think they said, well, what will it take, you know, to get it back? And I said, well, it will take a change of government, and it wouldn't surprise me because I reckon this guy's going to be a short-term premier making such a silly decision. I think it's just dumb politics. Doesn't make sense. Anyway. Can I ask you one more question, though? You were talking about the concerts. and So the South Australian Motorsport Board also organised the concerts and the artists? Correct. The concerts, all the concerts and artists that appeared at the event were uh, contracted directly by the South Australian Motorsport Board. The staging, everything was done under the auspices of the board. We had a guy that uh, had huge expertise in that field, working directly for the board, as I did in the motorsport and media areas. And so all of that was done, if you like, in-house by the organisation uh, because we had people who uh, you know, knew that, that side of the business as well. So... When was uh, South Australian Motorsport Board either disbanded or asked, we don't want your uh, input anymore, and the government took it in? Was that just for 2019, or was it earlier than that? No, it's, uh, the present government's been in power for a couple of years, so it happened about three years ago. You're right. Uh, that, uh, it happened about three years ago that the board was abolished um, at, by, by decision of government, and uh, it was taken in-house. The first year that it was taken in-house, not much changed, and then the, the last two years, unfortunately, the decline and ultimately the rot set in. A lot of people see the biggest change for the event um, if you're not working in the, in the management side of things was the concerts. I mean, a lot of people will blame the concerts or yeah, the artists for the for the concerts last year for a poor uh, for a poor crowd. Uh, yes, I wouldn't disagree with that. I'm not an expert on on uh, on artists or uh, that side of the business, but they certainly the decision to put on the the artists that uh, appeared last year certainly didn't live up to the standard of previous acts and. Uh, clearly had an impact on the crowd. I mean, it was, you know, we put on major artists, you know, to to attract a wider audience. I've always said that, you know, motorsport, and particularly if you're putting on an event rather than just a motorsport race meeting, you've got to appeal to a wide cross-section of the public. And that's why both in Formula One 
and uh, in the Adelaide uh, Supercar Street Race, we always had major concerts, and it worked. It worked extremely well. So you guys had some pretty big artists in your time. How did it work? Were these guys expensive? Were they taking a bit of the ticket sales? How did it work? Or did you just pay them a fee like uh, Supercars gets a sanctioning fee? Yes, with the uh, artists, um, they would, through their management group, would would appear at the event, usually on a, on an exclusive basis for South Australia. It would be their only appearance in, in South Australia. Um, and the Motorsport Board would pay an appearance fee for them. Now, obviously, you know, depending on the size of the, the act, etc., you know, that's not a substantial amount of money. But the thing about it is, if it attracts plenty of audience to the event uh, it, it is good business those people obviously also you know spend money on uh, food um, food and out and, and liquor and so forth and so on so increases merchandise sales increases that so it's just part of the mix or was part of the mix of the success of the event financially uh, but also to make it a big festival major event rather than just a motor race cool so how much did kiss cost you uh, look, I don't know the exact figures, but uh, got a ballpark. <laughs> you know, oh, well, I think you got to talk a million at least. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because that's that's the question everybody's asking. <laughs> I think it was a little more than the yeah, top hoods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I'll, I'll, I'll plead commercially confidential. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. I really appreciate having you on. I could ask you questions all day about this, but um, at some stage, we're going to have to let you go. Yep. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, but we really do appreciate the time and, and kind of filling in some gaps, giving us a bit of better understanding of what was going on, uh, what happened there, um, kind of a little bit who's kind of at fault at all this, what's and all that kind of stuff. So we really do appreciate your time. Right, then, guys. Cool. Thanks, Mike. All right, all right bye. See you, Bye. See you. Bye.